Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm, and I'm Maddie Cassidy. <laughs> and the tables are turned this week because last time we had just me and Justin. Maddie wasn't with us, but she's feeling better. Justin's on vacation, so it's just Maddie and myself and our special guest today. Today we have Brian Perkins here, who is the, what is your title right now? Chief Operating Officer. Here at GSA. And it, you may recognize his voice once he starts talking um, because Brian joined us for our very first roundtable discussion about coming together and the whole wild versus farmed conversation and why we need to get rid of that idea and focus more on just seafood. Um, we brought so him in. he's been on the podcast yeah, indirectly he before. Has, he has been on the podcast because we did replay that for an episode. But Brian was our representation of the wild caught side for that. Um, so that was a really great conversation. And if you haven't listened to that or watched it, make sure you check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes to the YouTube video and maybe the ep- podcast episode as well. So you can check that out. Really cool conversation and a lot of fun. Um, but today, Brian is here to talk about his career pathway because we love career pathways episodes, people who have really interesting careers. So Brian, first of all, before you get into your story, why don't you just introduce yourself? Who, who are you? Who am I? Um, well, first, let me say, when uh, I told my wife that uh, you guys wanted to do a Career Pathways podcast for me, she laughed and she said, you've never followed the path in your life. You've always just meandered around. So, uh, <laughs> I thought, love that. Yeah. thought I would share that. But So I'm Brian Perkins. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for the Global Seafood Alliance. And um, I come to this position with about 40 years of experience in the seafood industry in one way or another. Uh, I like to say the only place I've ever made money is from fish. And so <laughs> That's actually a really fun fact. Yeah. Dead fish yeah. in boxes, right? Dead, dead fish in boxes, <laughs> right? I've, 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 I've caught them. I've cleaned them. <laughs> I've processed them. I've sold them. All fish. Yeah, it's so you've, you've pretty much hit on every stage of the production chain. Yes. That's, yep. that's impressive. Yep. Yep. It's funny because I, I actually went to school for aquaculture and fishery tech, and I've had a few jobs since I graduated, and I've never actually like produced fish or caught fish or any of it. Like <laughs> just it's been, working adjacent. I've been like yeah, it's it's all been like education and kind of like talking about it from the sidelines. I did raise zebrafish for research, but that was not in the seafood yep. industry. So yep. it was like it's kind of funny how like some people just go from one thing to the other. And I'm just like I've been skirting around all this. <laughs> And I probably won't ever get to that point where I'm actually raising or harvesting fish. Well, my first semester in college, I'm not doing what I did then. I studied ballet at the Boston Conservatory of Music for a semester. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I've just blown my two two truths and a lie win every single time. Uh, yeah. Right? Wow. <gasps> yep. Got me. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely, I'm the most gullible person. Yeah. No, I, no, I did. I, oh, you? I actually did, yeah. I so those are your two truths. Those are, yeah, that's one of my, that's my one truth. Okay, that, that oh, no got one it. Ever, no one ever guesses. Wow. That's wild. What drew you to that? Uh, I, it was, I had no place to go to college and I'd been rejected at lots of different schools and a friend of mine said, come to our school, we're desperate for men. And uh, I had never studied ballet before in my life and 
um, decided I'd give it a try and uh, ended up injuring my knee such that I could only go for one semester. But uh, oh, but no. it was interesting. I never would have been a uh, Nuriyev, don't worry. <laughs> I figured I'd probably end up doing something like teaching at some place or something. Right, but, right. But, uh, and that was bo- in Boston? Yeah, Boston Conservatory. Were you from the Boston area? Yeah, North Shore, Boston. Whereabouts? Danvers. Okay. I grew up in Newburyport. Uh, There you go. Next door neighbors, basically. I lived in Salem for two days. Ah, (laughs) For two days. That's a fun story. I'll tell you that story sometime. (laughs) I think I've told you that, Manny. You've probably heard that story. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so super cool. So you have done... You've done it all in the industry, and uh, I, we want to hear your story. So take us down the pathway. How did you get started? How did you go from studying that to getting into fish? fish yeah, well, it's a, it's a journey of sorts. <clears throat> so in 1972, when I was 18, I had come up with a bit of money and decided to do <clears throat> what everyone was doing in those days, which was backpack around Europe because I wasn't going to go to school. Right. And uh, then I learned that Icelandic Airlines was the cheapest way to fly, so I decided if everyone else is going to Europe, I'll go to Iceland. And so on uh, Easter Sunday uh, in 1972, I got on a plane to go to Iceland with the notion that I was going to live with a family and learn the language. Now, I had no plan. I didn't know anyone there. And I had no idea how I was going to accomplish it, but I just set out. And as it turns out, I sat next to the plane. The plane I sat next to a guy who was arranging a tour for the youth, his youth orchestra. And when he heard what I wanted to do uh, and that I had no plan, he kind of freaked. <laughs> and uh, he gave me the name of the youth association. So on Tuesday morning, because uh, I landed on Easter Monday, which of course is a holiday, on Tuesday morning I went to the youth association and said, I would like to learn the language and live with a family. This is called networking. Yes. People. This, is, <laughs> yeah. this and, is a prime example of successful networking. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, you mean like working on a farm? Well, that wasn't my idea necessarily, but I said, sure, that sounds like a great idea. So then he sent me to the Farmers Association, and as it turns out, on day four in Iceland, uh, I met in my hotel lobby with a farmer named Sven Svensson, true story. And, uh, Very Icelandic name. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he hired me. And so I uh, ended up driving two hours into what direction I didn't necessarily know, <laughs> landed at this farm. And uh, the first thing I did, it was late at night, the first thing I did is give me a cup of coffee. Now, I'd never had a cup of coffee in my entire life. <laughs> um, so I did not sleep that night. Uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, knock comes on the door. And uh, so we're up and we're getting ready to milk the cows. And uh, So this was a, t- a terrestrial farm, dairy farm? Yeah, dairy farm, dairy farm, yeah. And, uh, and what was at the table was coffee and milk. And at this time in Iceland, they drank six cups of coffee a day. Oh, yep, my that sounds, goodness. I, I can relate to that. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I slept for that first week. You know? oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I ended up learning how to milk cows and speak Icelandic. And it was a big day when I got to drive the tractor down to the store without a note wrapped around my neck because I could oh actually ask. I could actually ask for what I wanted. Are you still, are you still comfortable speaking Icelandic? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah it's one of my party tricks. That's it's, cool. Uh, yeah. And How maybe, maybe at the end, we'll have you give a message to our listeners over in Iceland. We do have listeners <laughs> yeah, in Iceland. Shout out do. to our, fo- our yeah. uh, friends in Iceland. So I worked there for about six months, and then I left. Now, when as I was leaving, uh, as or actually on Easter Sunday, when my family, big family gathering. We're all talking about Brian's big adventure going off to Iceland. My grandfather, who sat in his own chair and had a 
cane, started to rap in the cane on the floor because we knew that he meant had something to say. Uh, and he looked directly at me and he said, I don't call this much of an adventure. You've got a return trip ticket. <laughs> and so, wow. So, at any rate, when I left the farm with his words ringing in my head, I turned in my round trip ticket to the U.S. for a one way ticket to Glasgow, Scotland. Wow. Yeah. Um, I ended that's up back a, That's in, a challenge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Direct challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at any rate, so I ended up in Iceland 72, 73, 74, uh, and 75. And in 74, um, I had made it, uh, gone out to an island called Grimsey, which is off the northern coast of Iceland. Okay. Uh, Arctic Circle bisects it. It's a mile wide and three miles long. And mm-hmm. there, at that time, were 88 other people on the island. Nice and warm. Yeah, nice and warm. <laughs> and uh, found out they needed someone to work in a fish factory. So I took the job working in a saltfish factory. And my job was to pick the dead fish up off the floor and put them on the heading machine so the guy running the heading machine could work the heading machine. Wow. And uh, I did that for the summer. That fall, um, there were only three boats that fished year-round, and one of the three needed a crew member and so asked me if I, cause if I wasn't going to be working at the factory because it was a limited number when they weren't in season. And I said, sure. So that's how I ended up on a fishing boat for the first time in the Arctic Ocean, uh, off 60 miles off the northern coast. I mean, basically. Wow. When That's left land, one way to start in, in the fishing <laughs> <Yeah>. industry. <Yep. laughs> Just yep. dive right into the right ice in. cold water. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is kind of funny how the majority of people that we talk to, that we do these career pathways with, never sought out to be in the seafood industry. Yeah. It's really kind of amazing how people kind of like, I don't want to say fell into it, but it's like there was something that drove them to do it that was like, I don't know. It's hard to describe. Like It seems like it's usually a random opportunity yeah, that like, comes up. Like they just, it was a, you know, screw it opportunity. I'll try it. Why yes. not? Like this is something that's available to me. Whatever. I'll try it. You know, I got nothing else going on. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then it just like is, is the, the spark for their, their career. That's fascinating. Yeah. So one of my skippers actually spoke to that. It was uh, in 19, in 1980, I moved up to Maine. I had been working at Polaroid, worked on assembly lines and, and different kinds of stuff, worked as a grave digger for a period of time. Did a lot of different kinds of odd jobs. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, up until the time I was 40, I never held a job for more than two years in my life So, at a time. So lots of different jobs. But anyway, um, I got moved up to Maine, and there was someone building a fishing boat, and I stopped by to take a look at it because it's nice to look at boats. And I made the comment to him that, uh, you know, I thought about fishing, that I enjoyed it, and I uh, you know, didn't know whether I was going to go back to it or not. And he looked at me, and he said, well, it's not your choice. He says, if you are a fisherman, you will be back. Hmm. And if you are not a fisherman, you won't. He said, there's no such thing as retired fishermen. They're just former fishermen. So Um, so at any rate, so I spent from 80 to 88 basically self-employed working as a commercial fisherman, a carpenter, um, built my own house, built a garage or a barn from from scratch, um, owned blueberry ground and so raked blueberries and I like to call it my back to the land era. That definitely sounds like it. And, uh, yeah. and uh, although it's interesting, in that period of time, um, I actually ended up uh, as the chairman of the board of selectmen in a town called Sedgwick, Maine. And uh, I was the I was 34 at the time, and I was the youngest chair ever. And I was also the first person from away 
who uh, was elected as that a must chairman. be a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I mean those in small towns Maine. in Maine. Oh yeah, <laughs> no one no <laughs> one comes and no one leaves. So that's, that makes sense. Right. that's right. That's right. And then in '88, I transferred inside. I got a job as a um, managing editor and advertising sales for Fisheries Product News, so that was a national um, uh, trade pub publication. Um, did that for two years, and then uh, in the meantime, we had adopted. Uh, two African-American babies, and uh, Sedgwick, Maine is even wider than the rest of Maine, and we decided we really wanted to move someplace where they might have a chance of seeing some adults. Uh, and so we moved to Brunswick, Maine, um, mm-hmm. and I got a job with an outfit called United, Pub- United Publications as a managing editor and uh, advertising sales for, for a recreational boating publication. Mm. And... Uh, and then in 92, 93, um, uh, I had just been laid off from, from that position, and uh, National Fisherman Expositions was advertising for a sales manager. And uh, I applied for the job, and I remember at the time, the general manager asking me the question, so how much do you really know about seafood? And I said, well, I know enough that I can safely Bullish, bullshit, my, <laughs> what I don't know. And uh, I think that line may be what got me the job. But So what um, did they do? They produced uh, trade shows. So at the okay. time that I joined them. So uh, kind of like diversified. Uh, well, it is diversified. Oh, it there is? was National Fisherman Expositions, and then it turned into diversified oh. business communications. Yeah. Mm. So I started out as a sales manager for the Boston Seafood Show. Oh, cool. uh, and then uh, progressed up through, oh, 15 years later, I was the chief operating officer and I decided it was time to leave, but started the European Seafood Exposition and and uh, Singapore Seafood and West Coast Seafood and and and. Um, <laughs> I, I'd like to say that at one point in time, I was probably only two or three degrees of separation from anyone in the seafood industry anywhere. So, so did you have to travel a lot during that period oh, yeah. of time, like constantly on the move, going to different shows? I, I was I was on the road actually. From that time until March of 2020, I basically spent 100 days a year on the road. Wow. Um, most of the time. Yeah, which is, wow. yeah, I've not been on an airplane since. And how old were your kids? Uh, kids were young. When I started at Diversified, they were three and four. Mm. Oh, wow. Yep. That's, so that's how I have a four-year-old and two-year-old and a seven-month-old. <laughs> yeah. And I can't imagine traveling at all. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. when my oldest one was a little bit younger before the lockdown, I was traveling a few times a year. And like those that week that I'm gone, I was so stressed out because my wife was really hard on her. I can't imagine being gone that long. Yep. Wow. No, and it was the same. I I the only time I'd be gone for like two weeks, the longest trips would be about two weeks at a crack. And that was for our own shows, basically. So the European show, we generally go over for two weeks mm-hmm. uh, to be in advance. And was that was that in Brussels at the time? Still? It was in Brussels, yep, yep, yep. Shout out to our friends at Diversified. Yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, look forward to the Boston Seafood Show. Oh, yes. I guess they call it something else now. Senna? Seafood Expo. Expo in North America. Yep. Yep. And we will be there. We are planning on being there. I can't say for sure. We are planning on being there, and anyone who's seen us in the past at the show knows that we, if we're there, we will be recording live so people can come in and talk to us. And if they want to get on the show, they can, but I'm sure we'll talk about that more when the time comes. That's great. Little That's tangent. Great. That's <laughs> great. No, no, tangents are fine. I've had plenty in my lifetime. Um, 
So then I went to, uh, I had a shot at equity, which I had always wanted to try. And uh, there was an organization called uh, NGN, which was, uh, they had digital, were creating digital catalogs for trade shows. Hmm. Uh, two young German entrepreneurs who wanted me to start the U.S. branch of the organization. So uh, I did that, started in 2007. We ramped up, and got to about a million bucks in revenue within our first year, and then wow. And then the recession hit, and no one wanted to spend extra money on much of anything else. So we sort of sputtered along between a million and a million and a half for three or four years. Um, and then they sold the organization to a German company. I had hoped that they would sell it to an American company because that would leave me in a good position. Mm. But they didn't. So that was around so the recession of 2008? 2010, yeah, 2008. Yeah, yeah, um, so then – I ended up going to uh, with a couple of former colleagues from Diversified, and we started our own event business called Highliner Events. And yes, we did get a call from Highliner's <laughs> attorneys, uh, but we spelled it differently, so we were we there were all go. right. <laughs> and uh, uh, we called it Highliner because do you guys know what a Highliner is? In, enlighten me. Okay, so a on type the, of ship? Nope, nope. It's a type of fisherman. So on the oh. on the dories. The person who was the best fisherman got to be the highliner, so he got the haul in the fish first, and there was something wow. he couldn't handle than others did. Oh. And so it's the being the best at being the best at what you were. So, so kind of like first chair violin. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. That's I a good name. Learned something today. Yeah. Check <laughs> off. You learn something yep. new every day. <laughs> Check. Yep. Uh, and then we ended up going out of business. We uh, we ran into cash crunch problems and. Uh, the only good thing about folding a business in Maine in August is that you uh, get to have a lot of time off in the summertime, which I did. And uh, Maine's a good place to be. <clears throat> yeah, have time off in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I own a, a property on a lake up in uh, Central Maine, and um, so I went up there, and it's off the grid, and it, it, we generate our own electricity, and there's no cell service or anything else. So every once in a while, I come back down to Portland, where I was living at this point and uh, check things. And I ended up with a bunch of people from the industry saying, hey, MSC is looking, we know you need a job, and MSC is looking for a regional director for the Americas. Would you consider doing it? And uh, my first thought was, heck no. <laughs> but then I got thinking about it, and uh, Wally Stevens and I have known each other for, for many, many, many years. And I looked at his example of first working in the industry and then working, giving back to the industry. And I thought that was a pretty good model, and I was 62, so I figured, you know, I could do this for a little while. And uh, so I did that for six years uh, and was actually more or less thinking about retiring in a year or two. And then an evil recruiter <laughs> waved this job. <laughs> tap, 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 knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> uh, would you be interested in the GAA? They're looking for a COO who will become a CEO. And uh, uh, when Wally retires, and you know, we're all waiting to see whether Wally actually does retire. He's, or yes. Not. How many times he retired twice already? I think this I think would just be since the I've been here, it's been <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, uh, so that's it, and it's uh, you know a wandering path, but uh, I do feel like the it, it's ended me up in the right place, the right job at the right time with the right group of people, and it's. Incredible to be working for a mission-driven organization and one with as many dedicated team members as we've got here is just a complete and utter pleasure. Well, we're really happy that you're joining us and we're 
excited to see, you know, where things go in the future because we are making some big changes. We are transitioning to GSA, uh, and I know you're a big part of that. Can you kind of talk a little bit about your involvement in, in our transition from GAA to the broader scope that is GSA? Yeah, so what we're doing is, and Wally actually had this idea about six or seven years ago, um, introduced it to me the first time. I think we were having a drink at a bar someplace. Can't imagine that, but um, in the seafood industry, in the seafood industry, yeah, yeah, yeah imagine that. <laughs> but at any rate, um, he was talking about the the fact that there were certain assurances. So the level of assurance that BAP provided in the aquaculture industry didn't exist in the seafood industry. There were great environmental standards and certifications. And when you say in the seafood industry, you mean the wild, the side. wild, wild yeah. side. Yep, yep. Sorry, no, 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 I just want to make sure that yep. we're we're clear. Yeah. Yep. So at any rate, um, uh, as I watched it evolve and grow, um, it's been very, very interesting. And it's really exciting to be able to, to bring the level of assurance that we can do through the vessel standard and through the seafood processing plant standard um, to the wild-caught seafood industry. And uh, I believe we are the only organization in the world currently that's operating in both realms at the same time. Yeah. And uh, it it's um, it's been interesting because the response from our endorsers has been very 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 positive um, in in terms of what we're doing and and where we're headed. So look forward to continuing it. The other thing I like about GSA is that we're not just a standard holder. Um, that we believe in advocacy. That we believe in education um, and and all the rest of it that we do. So it's not just a single entity kind of thing that just is doing one standard and one standard only. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and that's the world that we live in. Shout out to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, and the podcast, and the podcast. Yes. No, that that is like uh-huh. it, part of the whole education initiative, and it's it, I, that's what I love about working at an organization like GSA. It's we walk the walk and we talk, or we talk the talk and we walk the walk yep. with our advocacy work, with our education work. There's a lot behind just the standards and the certification. We do a lot of work to support the industry too. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And and it's, you know, in some ways, it's one of the very distinctive parts about us is that um, basically we respond to what the market wants and needs. Mm-hmm. And we listen to what the market wants and needs, and then we deliver the assurances that, that they want and need. So it's very much a m- market-driven kind of process, as opposed to one that's strictly environmentally focused, environmentally driven, we we look at what the market needs and, and provide the solution for it. Right. It brings you up to kind of like a little bit higher level, kind of above some of the pettiness that we see in the industry, which is, you know, that was the whole premise of our roundtable discussion that we had you join us on was this wild versus farmed. And I feel like the reputation that GAA built up and the respect that they gained over the 20 plus years that they were GAA, that we were GAA, I guess I, I'm still a part of this organization as far as I know. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Sean, I've been meaning to talk to you. <laughs> um, yeah, let's at least get through this and I'll talk to you later. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I think I think having that le- level of, of respect that they gained over that over those years is what's helping make this transition acceptable within the industry, right? Because there is some pettiness between wild cotton and and farmed seafood. And and the fact that we are able to bring on the wild caught side and say like, this is, we're going to be doing all of the things that we do for aquaculture. We're going to be doing this for the wild caught too, because it's seafood. And we're here to advocate for responsible seafood overall, which is something that's 
been our mission with the podcast since day one. We saw this coming, by the way. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm really proud to be part of that. Like, I feel like we are the organization that is like the one that is covering everything yep. and, and embracing both sides. And it's been easier than I expected. I thought we would get a whole lot more pushback and a whole lot more negativity pushed towards us trying to move into that space. Have you seen any pushback or has no. it been all? Because the thing that we talked about before is like, we feel like the people within the industry are like, they don't care about it. It's like people that are outside the industry that are all gung ho, you know, only eat wild caught or only eat farmed or whatever. And there's like, but then everyone within the industry, they're just like, it's all seafood. It's, it's, all, all, seafood. it's all seafood. <laughs> yeah. It's all seafood. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's nice to see that it's like accepted and like people are behind us yep. in this endeavor. And it's absolutely because of the reputation that BAP developed mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of being able to provide those assurances. Because if you look at how quickly um, we've gotten endorser support, so people specifying now best seafood practices in the in their purchasing uh, criteria, um, along with MSC or ASC or BAP, but embracing BSP as quickly as they have. Um, it's really pretty stunning. Some of the biggest, some of the biggest players in the industry. I don't think we've actually talked about best seafood practices on we the haven't. podcast. No, we haven't. So, Brian, do you want to just give like a two-minute spiel on the background of BSP, which is a brand new initiative? Yeah. We yeah. have spoken about BAP quite a bit, so yep. I think our listeners are going to be pretty mm-hmm. comfortable with BAP. And we also have talked about uh, MSC and ASC and, and, and the other certification programs. But you're right; we haven't. I think we haven't even mentioned BSP yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so BSP is Best Seafood Practices. It also happens to be my initials, which I thought was a strange How thing. How apropos. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so the concept of Best Seafood Practices is recognizing responsible fisheries and rewarding them um, with market recognition and provide assurance to the marketplace for the folks that want it. And so um, there are plenty of uh, environmental certifications for wild-caught seafood uh, there's MSC, there's RFM, there are others as well. Um, and and those are all GSSI recognized, which is the – I forget what GSSI stands for. But it's like a benchmarking. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's a, benchmarking, a benchmarking organization. organization yeah. Benchmarking organization. And so our concept is very simple. If you are sourcing from a GSSI benchmark fishery and you uh, – get certified to our seafood processing standard, which has four pillars. It's not just chain of custody, it's social, it's uh, food safety, it's animal welfare, and it's environmental impact of the processing plant. So if you get certified to those four, uh, I mean to the processing and you're coming from a certified fishery, um, then you can be, you qualify for being part of the best seafood practices. Um, and there you can use that claim in your in your media, you can use that claim and whatever. There's a second component to it, which is the responsible fishing vessel scheme uh, or standard um, that that looks at social and worker and environmental and um, uh, crew safety um, uh, for vessels, which can be added to it as well. Uh, and so then you would have a full chain. And we've got, I think within the next month or two, uh, we will have a U.S. organization that has uh, vessels, uh, that has their processing plant certified to 
uh, SPS 5.0, the wild one. Yeah, and, that's seafood processing standard. Yep, and and uh, and is fishing on MSC certified fisheries. So they will be the first in the, the pioneer. Yeah, first in the in the marketplace to be able to make that claim. So it's it's not so much like a mirroring of the BAP program. No. Which I think some people were kind of expecting when when the rumblings started about this. So, it, it, you know, you're not looking at a specific vessel audit and then a specific processing audit. Like, it's not going to work the exact same way as BAP. So, we'll I'm sure we'll get into that more. Maybe we'll have um, someone from Program Integrity or or someone from the BAP team come and talk about or the BS, BSP team come and talk about that. Because uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds right now because there's a lot of information <laughs> in this episode. Um, but um, I wanted to know, you know, at, we, we talked about your whole career meandering. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of different things. There's a lot. You must have some fun stories that you can share uh, yes. with, with our listeners. I'm sure, sure. I'm sure you have some really interesting stuff. Sure. So I, I mentioned that uh, my first job in, or first job in the seafood industry was working in a fish processing plant in Iceland, saltfish. Um, and traditionally, the fish, the, they're day boats, single-handers, and they go out and they come in in the evening and unload the fish. And generally speaking, uh, if it's not too big a load, then we would wait till the morning to start processing. So I would go into a space, oh, I don't know, 100 square feet probably, no, probably four or 500 square feet um, uh, with a bunch of dead fish on the floor. And uh, this one day, I was about waist deep in dead fish. Mm. Uh, and like you do, you know. Yeah, just like you do. Like yep. you do. Yeah. And, uh, it's the smell of money, man. Yeah, yeah, it's the smell of money. It's the smell of money. And uh, at any rate, I, it was, it, I was new in the role, and I hadn't really thought about things, and I was walking by lifting my feet up through the fish. Mm. And all of a sudden, my foot landed on a dead fish. And I slid flat on my back Ooh. and was totally covered in fish. Oh, I thought I was going to drown. Talk I about drowning in yeah, I, I didn't know if I could get up or not. And I finally managed to roll over. And there was no one else in the factory. I was the first one in the factory. Because everything's slippery too, so That's how do right. you get up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I managed to roll over and get up and stood up. And then I had to work the entire day of my shift covered in covered in fish slime oh, uh, my from head to goodness. toe. Oh, man. Yeah. You must have smelled really good at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Right. And then move a few years forward to when you're working at Diversified and you're doing these shows. And then you come out smelling like delicious fried fish. Oh, afterwards. like delicious yeah. fried fish. <laughs> so there was at the first uh, European seafood exposition, we had a um, uh, tank manufacturing company that was one of the exhibitors um, right at the front of the show. Uh, and he didn't have enough time to get the water to be the right quality. So we actually hired a, a tanker truck to bring in water from the North Sea. And so the truck arrived and delivers the water in the North Sea, and then he fills the tanks up with Dungeness crab, right? And so that evening, or two evenings later, but before the show started, I get a call from the facility, Monsieur Perkins, the crab, they are dry. <laughs> and, and so yeah. I've got to hop up in my car and drive back up to the facility, and I go in and I take a look at it, and sure enough, one of the tanks had lost all its water. Oh. So here are about 100 Dungeness crabs that are around in this tank that I now got to figure out what to do with. Oh, so oh so what you do with them, you pick them up and you put them in one of the other tanks. And, and of course, they're not banded. And the Dungeness is, is kind of big. And, <laughs> and, and 
I managed to get all of them in except for one who managed to glom onto my finger. Oh, God. And uh, was, uh, it hurt. But I re- having been a commercial fisherman, I realized all I had to do was break their claw off. And then they were done. So there was there was one one claw. <laughs> <laughs> that made it into the tank. That made it into the that tank. That one was discounted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So did it like, did the water leak somewhere? Yeah, it must have leaked somewhere, but it got it filled in again. Well, and the other, the other part that was really good about it is that he, uh, he asked me where he could drain the water. And I said, well, they, there's piping in the drains right there. And they have the, they have the, I, I don't know if you guys have been to Brussels or not, but they have the, in the floor drains, in the floor drains and that kind of stuff. What well, at any rate, what he did is instead of hooking up to some piping, he just dumped the water into the floor drains, which also had the floor troughs, yeah. which also had all the electricity. Oh, geez. So it shut off, sparked <laughs> all the electricity. And, and better yet, they had a wedding was going to be organized in that same hall two days later. And so this, all of the sand in these troughs was filled with eight-day fish water <laughs> and smelled terribly. So they had to bring in fans and deodorizer and everything oh else. Oh, my God. To get Tell me hall. that guy wasn't invited back for another show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's a listener. Crazy. Maybe he's a listener. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> So we still have plenty of time, so I'm not going to rush through anything. But we do have a couple questions that we ask everyone that we do this with. But if, is there anything else that you want to kind of share before we get into some of those questions? Um, sure. Uh, let me share a story. I'm, I'm, my son Benjamin would be disappointed if I didn't share this story because I've shared it so many times before. But um, he was about – we always – whenever I was at home, because I traveled so much, whenever mm-hmm. I was at home, we would we would always eat dinner together uh, at the kitchen table and – we didn't allow cell phones or TVs or radios or whatever. We had to have conversation. Ben was probably 11, maybe 12, you know, at that age where you're beginning to realize your role is to challenge your father. And oh, of course. What's, what's going on. And so we always ate a lot more fish than most people do. And uh, this evening it was, I think it was probably a piece of haddock, baked haddock. And the plate gets put in front of Benjamin and he puts his fork and knife down and he says, Fish? Mm-hmm. Fish? You're going to make me eat fish again? <laughs> and uh, I got very quiet, which anyone who knows me knows that it is not a good sign. <laughs> it's not a good sign. And, uh, Noted. I put my fork and knife down and I looked directly at him and I said, Benjamin, do you like this house? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, Benjamin, fish bought this house. <laughs> Benjamin, do you like that bicycle that you got for your birthday? He said, yes. I said, Benjamin, Fish bought that bicycle for you. <laughs> I said, Benjamin, did you like that vacation we went on when we went on a cruise? And we went to, yes, Benjamin Fish bought that cruise for us. So here's exactly what you are going to do. Number one, first, you are going to respect that fish. Secondly, you are going to thank that fish. And thirdly, you will eat that fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love your, that. Your whole life is built on boxes of dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. That is funny. So one thing that we, that we ask everybody is we see these episodes, and, and if you've listened to a couple of them, I'm sure you know where we're going with this, but we, we like to do these career pathway episodes because they do serve as kind of an inspiration for young people that are trying to get into the industry or think they might be interested in getting in the industry. You know when you're just starting out, like it's hard to picture yourself – in 
higher roles or in decision making roles when you're, you know, slugging fish on a, you know, tossing, tossing the fish to the D header, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, uh, or, or, you know, laying flat on your back covered in dead fish. But what is some advice that you would give to someone who's just starting out in the industry that kind of wants to make a career in seafood? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, first thing is I would recommend that you consider doing a future leaders course with through the National Fisheries Institute. It's a great program. Actually, Wally Stevens started it uh, many years ago. Yeah. Our, our uh, friend of the show, Elise Avalon, who's yep. been on, she's been on she's, many times. She's a fan favorite. Uh, she's going through it right now. Yep, yep, she is. And uh, so that's one thing. Um, secondly is respect the knowledge of the dinosaurs in the industry, mm -hmm. as I like to call them sometimes, um, but also recognize that your ideas are valid and, and good as well. Um, and then third, thirdly, I think, um, you know, one of the things about most seafood professionals is that they're passionate about their, their work, whether, it, whether it's being um, in, the, in the actual industry itself or whether it's marketing it. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've known for 30 years because they've just been in the seafood industry and, and stuck around. Um, and, you know, I like to think that I bring three things to any job that, I, that I've ever performed. One is um, my integrity. Uh, second is my passion. Uh, and uh, third is um, my ability to build teams and, and make things happen. Um, and that's the sort of thing to take a look at is when you see something that you think you can make happen, do it. Fantastic. So what, what has been up to this point, what has been the highlight of your career and why is it joining us at GSA? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it is. I, I've had a couple. I've got to say the success of the European Seafood Exposition uh, was an absolute highlight in my career. One of the best successes I've ever had. Um, no one thought that we could do it. Uh, I, an American organization organizing a trade show in Europe. They just didn't think that we would be able to have the do it. And I like to think that part of part of the reason is that having spent as much time in Europe and Iceland as I had, I had a better appreciation and understanding of the culture mm. and what's involved. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Yeah. It, it also didn't hurt that um, when it came time to get a national pavilion, uh, I went up to Iceland and I conducted uh, meetings in Icelandic with the with the the folk various folks and uh, we had a British competitor at the time and when I got back from my Icelandic trip phone rang in my office and I picked it up and it was the British accent saying you bastard <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I said I love you too Lucy what's up and she said you never told me you spoke Icelandic and I said you never asked me <laughs> and she said well I followed you around, and every one of them said that they would be happy to do our show as soon as I could speak Icelandic as well as you can. Wow. <laughs> so managed to get an Icelandic pavilion in, and then that, that uh, brought in the Scots, and then that brought in the others, and it was uh, domino effect. a domino effect. Yeah. I was, admittedly, it was four years before anyone would return one of our phone calls. Um, you know, you'd make a call and leave a message, and you knew they weren't going to call back. Because it wasn't significant enough, um, but within four years we had proven to be turned out to be the largest seafood show in the world, and uh, larger than Boston. So, I mean, that was a great highlight. Um, MSC was a great highlight for me. Um, I had there's a certain journalist who indicated um, that the team that I had taken over was not necessarily the best team in the world. 
Um, and when I left MSC, I think we had created one of the best teams in the world for MSC in terms of talent and commitment uh, and, and interest in continuing to do the work, which is great. Um, that's the hardest part about coming to GSA is leaving my former MSC team behind. But the people. As, as, yeah. as Wally always says, it's always the people. It's, it's that's always going to be the hardest thing, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, but coming to GSA, the opportunity to help to build um, this organization and to lead it, um, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, 12 years from now when I'm 80 and ready to retire, um, that we'll be in a very, very, very different position in terms of, um, how we're regarded in the in the industry. For sure. So I just have two more things that I want to pull out of you. And one is, what else? what else is there besides your jobs and your careers? I mean, you've talked to me about some of the stuff that you've done, like telling some stories with the moth. Yep. Um, you know, what what are what what other things do you love that that influence your life and influence your career? Boats. That you, that you do. Boats. Yeah. It's a disease. Yes. <laughs> it's an absolute disease. Um, I own. Um, Oh, I guess at one point I sold two boats last year, so I'm down. My fleet is down at this oh, no. point. But uh, you know, I own multiple canoes and multiple kayaks, and each one is good for one thing or another thing or a particular type. I love paddling the Allagash. Uh, I've paddled it four times now. I'm oh, wow. hoping to do it at least one more time before uh, before I go. I thought about the notion of paddling it solo just to uh, just to say that I did, um, and. Um, I've got, uh, of course, my grandbabies, uh, you know, uh, I've got, I just spent, as I told you on my vacation or I told yeah. you guys, I spent four days with uh, three kids, uh, five, almost three and nine months. And I have nothing but the utmost, even more respect for parents of young children because I'd forgotten exactly quite what it's like. <laughs> it's definitely not easy. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and that that uh, that camp that I go to, I call it camp, but it's a house yeah. on a lake, and uh, laying in my hammock and reading thriller novels and crime novels and and that sort of thing. So, ooh, crime novels. Oh yes. Oh, what's yeah. what's your favorite book? Oh, I you know I I don't have a favorite um, really. Um, I'm reading David Baldacci right now. Uh, nice. He's through his novels. Uh, uh, Lee Childs has been mm-hmm. been. Uh, a favorite, J.D. Robb. Uh, with the cost of hardbound books, what I like to tend to do, I tend to do is go devour an author, as I say. So I think the the silliest thing I've ever done is I ordered 25 J.D. Robb novels from Amazon at one whack <laughs> just so I would have enough to read. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How long did that hold you over for? Uh, it took three summers. Yeah, wow. I can imagine. 25. Wow. wow. So... What's next? What's on the horizon? You know, what do you see in your future besides paddling the Allagash alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see spending a lot of time here with this. Um, but then I also, I mean, I really enjoyed storytelling when I was doing it. And uh, I think I may try to start something up in the Bitterford, Portland area to see whether we can get some storytelling going there. Um, it can't be the moth, but it can be moth-like. Yeah. Um, you know, or can call it the caterpillar. <laughs> the Ooh, there you go. There you go. I like it. Yeah. But uh, something along those lines and then, you know, just one day at a time. Very cool. Well, that's okay, the way Okay, here's do it. one last question, and it's a big one. What do you see as the biggest next 
thing, and I'm putting thing in quotation marks for those of you who can't see me, which is everybody that's listening. Air quotes. <laughs> an, an audio medium, so we use as many visual gags as we can. What do you see as the next biggest thing in the seafood industry? So that could be technology, innovation, Podcasts. challenge, <laughs> the Aquapedia <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that marine aquaculture is, is a big thing, and I'm considering that in the seafood industry. I would love to see the RFMOs, the regional fishery management organizations that control uh, management of the migratory species, I'd love to see them stepping up and actually doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. Like working together more? Yeah, like, like yeah. I mean, right now, uh, one member of the RFMO can object to something and it just nothing moves forward. And oh. so it really holds back some of the, mm-hmm. some of the changes that really need to be made. Uh, in order to make sure we've got fish for the future. And I guess I don't, I'm not sure what else. I mean, I think it's great that the, during the pandemic that the retail sales increased as much as I did and people realized Crazy that- Crazy increase. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's much, much easier to cook fish than they ever imagined. Did not see that coming. Yep. That was, that was a big surprise to me. When we spoke with uh, Jen Bushman about that mm-hmm. and she pulled out some numbers that just- we were speechless. We were like, yep. I don't even know how to react to that. It's yep. crazy. Yeah. And yep. Linda Cornishot, Seafood Nutrition Partnership. Yep. She's, yep. she's got a lot of good insight into that too. Mm-hmm. Yep, she does. So yep. favorite seafood dish? Lobster. Straight wow. up boiled lobster, boiled American lobster. Yep. Love it. No questions asked, no hesitation. No. No. A main man through and through. So then the last question is, when are we going to go get some lobster? Let's do it. Because I'm down. Any day. My wife went to a, a wedding recently in New Jersey. So, of course, New Jersey weddings, it's like pretty extravagant. And the appetizer, not even the main course, the appetizer was like baked lobster tails. Wow. And it, this was after the all the hors d'oeuvres in the cocktail like, hour wow. which is like like stations for every type of food you can imagine and then they sit down and they're like here's a lobster tail and i was supposed to be at this wedding and i couldn't make it and she's texting me and telling me this stuff i'm like you're killing me right the now. one <laughs> wedding you don't you're killing go me. to yeah uh yeah. yeah so that sounds good so we'll make plans to to go get some lobster <laughs> absolutely absolutely maybe some oysters on the side oh yeah that would be my second favorite all right well brian is there anything else that you want to leave any uh messages you want to give to our Icelandic listeners or any of our other <laughs> listeners around the world? You know, is there any last words of wisdom that you want to finish this show off with? No, I'm not sure I have any wisdom left. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. We see you all the time, but it's nice to corner you in the in our little tiny closet studio and <laughs> and uh, get some really nice pearls of wisdom out of you since uh, you left it all on the table. Great. So we appreciate it. <laughs> yep. We didn't say any of this in the beginning, but make sure that you subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every episode delivered directly to your device as soon as it is released. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. And finally, make sure that you leave a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on if you liked this episode. That's right. Those written reviews really help. We've actually climbed pretty high in the charts for like, but there's not like a seafood category, mm-hmm. right? So it's like we're in the health we're... and wellness category because it's the closest we can get for food. Mm-hmm. So we've climbed pretty high and we've actually broken top 10 in some countries uh, for for rankings in a, in a couple uh, a couple weeks. But 
anytime that you leave a re- re- a rating and a written review, even if you say, you know, Sean's, Sean's voice is annoying, whatever you say, it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> if there's a written review in there, it's really, really helpful. I don't know how it works, but it works with the algorithm to help Some us. Some sort get, of algorithm magic. Yeah, it helps us show up in more searches and stuff. So it helps build the community and gets more people listening and keeps the conversation going. So really, if you do have a couple minutes please take the time to do that rating and review. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Uh, we will have some contact information for Brian if that's okay with you um, so people can reach out to him if they want to speak more about anything that he talked about today. And I think that's it. So, Brian, thanks Thank again you so, so much. much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Ciao.